Welcome to the Listen Money Matters podcast, where you can learn about managing your money totally free. For more information, visit listenmoneymatters.com. And now, here are your hosts, Matt and Andrew. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. My name is Matt, and I'm here with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, sir? Great, man. Great. How are you? Uh, good. Did you recover from last weekend in Philadelphia? Uh, I did. I did. I got sleep. So it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I got. I think I slept for like two days afterwards. Like my brain was fried. Same. But I'm. I'm glad that we. I'm glad we did it. And and now we're back in the swing of things, as they say, right? And it's not going to be just us two today. Even though you know, I like it when it's just us two. But sometimes you need to throw somebody else in the mix. And we have uh, a special guest on today. His name is Adam Carroll. Adam, say hello. Hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. <laughs> and uh, he's an author. He's a documentarian, right? That's a that's a word. A documentarian. Documentarian. Am, yeah. He has a book called Winning the Money Game, and his movie, which is what I really want to get into. Um, that, that's actually what attracted us to him and got this whole thing going. Yeah, yeah, he contacted us about this movie. It's called Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, and it's a documentary about student loan debt. And, and it's on Indiegogo right now, so... Yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, Adam, what's the website? You could actually pause the podcast, go contribute to it, or listen, and then, you know... What's the website for the uh, for the movie? So the easiest way to find it, guys, is to go to BBD, as in Broke, Busted, Disgusted, <clears throat> BBDthefilm.com. Okay, cool. And that takes it, you right to the Indiegogo page, right? It takes you right to the Indiegogo page where you'll see the trailer to the mm-hmm. movie. And then we've got a whole series of ways to support us. And actually, your listeners could be part of our film because what we want to do is have people uh, print out a sheet of paper right on that PDF document that's on that page, uh, write out how much they actually have in student loan debt and then hold that up in front of their camera, take a shot of it and then tag us on Twitter or Facebook and you will be part of our film when it's all said and done. Cool. That's a good yeah. idea. It's a real yeah. good marketing idea. Yeah. So I got to ask, um, when I saw this, I'm like, I, is, I don't know if there's any other documentaries out there about the subject, but when I saw this, the, the trailer for it, I thought, uh, why hasn't this not been made 10 oh. years ago, 15 years ago? Totally. Uh, what inspired you to make this documentary? Well, uh, going back a ways, so I, when I graduated from, from the university I went to, which was a state school, I had $28,000 in student loans. I had eight grand in credit card debt. I was upside down on my car. You know, my, my dog had just died at home. My girl had left me at school. Like I sounded like every Dirk Bentley song ever written. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I realized that I was a rich college kid and I quickly became a broke professional. Uh, so when I got out, I didn't realize that I was living on borrowed money and I really had no concept of the fact that I had borrowed that much money. And furthermore, I had no idea of how much the payments would be on that. So I wrote the book, Winning the Money Game, with a friend of mine. We went out and started speaking on college campuses. And the stories I was hearing from students were, uh, you know, at the time, they were, I'm 20 grand, I'm 30 grand in debt. And then as the years went on, and I've been doing this for about 10 years, um, the numbers got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's not uncommon for me to hear of students that are graduating with $70,000, $80,000, $120,000 in debt. And so... At some point, I said, I'm going to write a book about it. I got connected with a couple of filmmakers, and they said, dude, let's do a movie. And so we became documentarians. They've done many documentaries already, so I'm kind of new to the game. But I've basically written the story and the storyline and set up a lot of the interviews, and these guys are just brilliant filmmakers, and they know how to shoot stuff intelligently and creatively. And So it's just been a lot of fun to, to work on. So, I mean, what is the story that you've, what you've created? <laughs> The story in a nutshell is we in America right now are churning out broke 20-somethings. So the next generation that will carry our economy forward, uh, they're broke. They're, they're saddled with anywhere from $300 to $1,000 a month in student loan payments. And the system is busted. And we don't, I don't think we realize it because not enough people are raising awareness like we're trying to do with the movie. Um, and ultimately we're just disgusted by it. So we're, we're doing something about it. You know, in this country, I think you gotta, you gotta put your stake in the ground and say, this is BS. 
this should not happen. Right. There's no reason that grad school students can can borrow whatever amount they want to go through school with no repercussions, you know, talked about at the beginning. So ultimately this boils down to education and that's really what we're trying to do. So I mean Andrew, you you didn't go to did you well, you went to college, right? right? Uh did you come out with student loan debt? Uh I didn't, but um my school was very cheap. It was like 12,000 I think a year mm-hmm. uh, I worked and my dip parents did help me a little bit. Yeah. See, I didn't go to college. So I, I although uh now that now that I don't have all the student loan debt, um I have the freedom to do a lot of things that a lot of my friends can't do because they they're in they're buried in student loan debt. Mm-hmm. And so I mean what makes why is why is college so expensive because I watched uh, Inequality for All, the, the Robert yes. Reich movie, yes. and uh, I was blown away when he said that Berkeley used to be free. Yes. And then he said, Me, you know, yeah. and it kind of like gradually went up. Like you could go to Berkeley, you know, 25 years ago and it was, you know, cheap. Yes. Which is crazy to think about now. It is And crazy. it's a top college. It is. It is. It's crazy. <clears throat> the, the reason that tuition has gone up, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, some I have more opinions on, and, and some university folks will say, eh, that's sort of the tru- sort of truth. One of the main reasons is federal funding has gone down. As they cut federal budgets, you know, that trickles down to the state level where state universities don't get as much. Um, so to, to maintain uh, their viability in the sense that they have people to hire and they've got to pay their professors and all of that, they have to increase tuition in order to cover the cost. That kind of stuff all went down around somewhere between 2004 and today. And, and, and keep in mind that tuition has ri- risen well past inflation since the late 90s. So this is not a new phenomenon. But in, in between that 2005 and 2007 timeframe, they also changed the bankruptcy legislation. And when they changed that legislation, they said student loans can never be bankrupted. So right. what happens is all the lenders said, well, shit, we'll just open up our coffers and let people borrow whatever because we know they can never bankrupt the debt. So think about it. If a, if a lender says, well, now that there's no bankruptcy in place, no bankruptcy protection, we'll just loan however much people can borrow. And the universities on the other side say, well, then there's no real reason for me to restrict tuition if I know that there's lenders out there who are going to loan to our students. So it's this, you know, we'll just mm. keep, you know, funneling the system. And, 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 and ultimately, here's what's happened. 2004, the United States had $200 billion in student loan debt 10 years ago. Today, it's $1.2 trillion. So in 10 years, it went up a trillion dollars. And keep in mind, a trillion seconds ago, Western civilization wasn't even around. Yeah. You know, cavemen were clubbing their women and dragging them back to their caves. <laughs> the in, good old days. In Hoboken, you know, that's what was happening. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, today we have this $1.2 trillion uh, debt. And the scary, that's not the scariest part. The scariest part is that of the $600 billion that's amortizing right now, meaning people are paying it back, um, one in three loans is delinquent past 30 days. And one in five of those loans is beyond 90 days late. So it's like $140 billion in delinquencies right now in the student loan market. And a trillion dollars, that $1.2 trillion, is federal money. It's all backed by the American taxpayer. What happens if, if a person is delinquent on their student loan debt? Because I know they can't dodge it. So, can they, so can what they, happens? Can they die and it, and it gets wiped away? Well, here's the amazing part. You can die, and allegedly it's supposed to get wiped away, although there are story after story after story, and we're going to interview some of these people in the film, whose parents and grandparents are getting collection calls from some of these lenders trying to recoup money. And in some cases, this is the most horrible part. They're kids who have committed suicide because their debt was so high. And now the lenders are going after their parents. So, So what happens if you default on a federal loan? Um, you know, it goes into a collection process, it goes to a collection agent. And if after a period of time, and I believe it's a year or two years, um, now they can start garnishing your tax refunds 
And ultimately, if push comes to shove, they will garnish your wages. Wow. They can do that. Mm-hmm. That's scary. I actually have a yep. friend whose wages get garnished for student loans. He just didn't pay. He said, screw you guys. And really? They, they said, screw you. And they took his money. And I guess, yeah. that, I guess it messes up your credit, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your ability to go out and get a car loan, to get a home loan, uh, really to get a credit card that's not secured by something is limited if you do this. So yeah. who's, who's the enemy? Is the enemy the lenders or the colleges? Because in my eyes, it's the colleges. Yeah. I, I, I'm on a campus. I'm on uh, Rowan University's campus. And uh, I, they just keep buying up more and more space. They're building right. massive like we have a they just built a Barnes and Nobles that I can walk to. It's massively <laughs> huge. It's beautiful. The they built this whole strip of stores, all yes. the, a, a hotel. It's on it's all owned by Rowan and then they just bought uh, a doctorate yeah. school. Uh so they bought a hospital and they're just trying to buy stuff from Rutgers. So that seems to me like and they're a state funded school. I'm yeah. I'm I'm not 100% sure on that. I could ask somebody in the house, but um yeah. That to me, that sounds like uh, greed, and yeah. that they have way—they're getting way too much money that they got to figure out how to spend it within the company. That—that that would certainly be an, an observation I would make as well. I think that the answer to that question, uh, Matt, is who's the enemy? There are a number of them. Certainly, the lenders. Um, yeah. And and keep in mind, the lender today is the United States government. Uh, you mm. know, the direct lending program is the program that's given more student loans than any other program out there. Now, it's done two things. On the one hand, and this was all done under Obama, he, he wants to make education accessible. And he's done it. The problem is he's done it at a cost to the next generation, which is unbelievably burdensome. And um, so that's one, that's one of the enemies. I think one of the enemies is the school and the university system today. They're all amenitizing. And here's what that means. If you go back to, Andrew, if you went back to the school you graduated from, you would find their dining centers are improved. Their workout facilities are amazing. Uh, you know, I've been on campuses like George Mason in Fairfax, Virginia. They have a Starbucks in the basement of one of their dormitories that's open 24 hours a day. Must be nice. Yeah. And it's owned by the university. So what do the students do? They go in, they swipe their university ID through the system. And they go get a $7 venti frappuccino at all hours of the day and night that goes on to their university bill. Right. And, and so, you know, the question is, do we need to have all these amenities on college campuses? On the one hand, they do it because they have to keep their enrollment high. Mm-hmm. So the only way to keep enrollment high is to keep continually competing with the other schools that are amenitizing. Yeah. And, um, and at the same time, I think what we do is we create this environment where uh, you know, Matt, you weren't necessarily involved in it, but but if you go to college day, it's like a four year break from reality. <laughs> it's it's four years of living at a at a country club, and then you get out and you're like, well, crap, this isn't what I had in mind when I graduated. <laughs> I, I this mean, is nothing like college. Yeah, I've seen Animal House and Van Wilder, <laughs> so I know that's what I assume that's exactly what college is like, right? Yeah, it's just yeah, keg sure. stands and, and exactly. Yeah, okay. I remember two things from my college career and, you know, taking nothing from my experience. I know I own up to the fact that I was a social student. Um, You know, I was not an academic student. I was a social student. So my goal was to get as much experience on my college campus as humanly possible. And I, I did the parties and I was involved in student government and the campus radio station and all that fun stuff. Um, But I remember two things from my college career and the rest of the time was all just socializing right. and, and get, becoming more socially aware and I guess growing up when I was there, you know. And that's a good thing, but I don't think it's worth, you know, $50,000 for four yeah, years. exactly. And so, okay, um, this kind of reminds me of the housing situation. Yes. Uh, it is similar, right? I guess it does mirror it in a way because the federal government was involved with that as well. Yes, uh, they were given loans out like candy at the bank. Totally. Was, you know, I've, I'm one of those uh, uh, candy recipients. Uh, <laughs> got a loan when I was not supposed to. Like, never, ever 
should should have given me a loan. Uh, but this sounds a lot like that. It is. Has it made it easier for people to get into college? Because you just mentioned Obama with this initiative. Is it easier for people to get into college now that there's so much money available? Well, it's definitely easier in the sense that if if you were from um, you know a family that did not have as much, and you went you you got into a, the school that you wanted to go to, you would simply go fill out a FAFSA form, the free application for federal student aid, and then you'd go to the financial aid office, and they would tell you, okay, well tuition is twelve grand, and here's how we're going to break it up. You know, you need to borrow sixty five hundred from the direct lending program, and you need to find the rest of it somewhere else. And we can do, we, you know, there's a number of different ways we can do that. And some of them are plus loans, the parent loans where the parents sign on the dotted line and they guarantee the loan. Um, so the loan is actually in the parent's name. But uh, yeah, that comes back and bites people as well. If the parents can't pay, uh, then that goes into default and it falls back on the student to, to make the payments. And I've heard that horror story a number of times as well. Um, so has it made it more accessible? Yes, without question. But is it like the housing bubble? Again, yes, without question. And here's why. In, in, when did you buy your house, Matt? 2008. Okay, good. So that was right at the end of that, that uh, you know, subprime where anyone could go in and fog a mirror. You can get a loan kind of deal. It was October 3rd too, so like right before Black Monday. Yes, yes. So, And I was in the mortgage business at that time. Believe it or not, I had started uh, the first socially responsible mortgage company in the state of Iowa where I'm from. And my goal was to put people in a better position financially when they were done with me than when I started. And, and I remember we did, early, early on, we had the ability to do no-doc loans, meaning you could come into our brokerage and you could say, hey, I'm a teacher. Um, I don't make a lot of money. I saw this $400,000 house I really dig. Mm-hmm. And we'd say, well, if you're married, we'll just say that between the two of you, you make $150,000. And you have uh, a two hundred thousand in assets, even though they may not have any, and they would get them approved for a loan. Now, I personally did not do any of these because it's not financially astute to do it. Right. Um, but there were a lot of people who went out and got these gigantic homes and defaulted on it within six months and stayed in them for a year and a half or two years before they were eventually foreclosed on. The difference is they could walk away from the house and the bank would receive the house. Today, and, and they would have no debt tied to it, right? Once the bank gets the home in a foreclosure, you're free and clear. Your credit's screwed for seven years, but whatever. Um, with students, the way it works is, uh, Andrew, you could go in and borrow, uh, let's say, it's, let's say your, your uh, tuition is $20,000 your freshman and sophomore year. You go into the financial aid office and say, I have no money, no income, no assets, no guarantee of future employability but I'd like to borrow the whole 20 grand to go to college this year. And so they make, they do their magic and get you the money. You do that two years in a row, you now owe $40,000. Then you go, you know what? College, this isn't for me. And you walk away. You cannot leave the debt. The debt follows you wherever you go. Um, you, you had no guarantee of future employability. So let's say it's a $450 payment and now you can't make that payment. It, that, that literally follows you forever. And this is what we're not teaching students. You know, that we're, we're giving 18-year-olds the opportunity to borrow well past their means. So what would you have them do? I mean, they, they want to go to school, or rather people tell them that they should go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the college costs $20,000. Should, should they opt out until they can afford it on their own? Or, you know, what, what is the right solution? I think there's a, this is like an equation, right? So you're asking about, what is the answer? And I think the answer is a series of A plus B plus C equals D. And, and the A plus B plus C equals D is A might be schools need to do a three-year bachelor's program. No one needs to be in school, in my opinion, for four years or longer. Amen. And, and you I don't, can get through with like 12 credits a year. You're pretty much hanging out all day. And yeah. that's the deal. Most of, most of them are you know, taking – this is the advice too, right? Well, it's your freshman year, first semester. Just take 12 credits, which literally is three or four classes. That's two classes a day, you know, four days a week. The rest of the time, you're jacking around, right? right. So it's cakewalk. It was great. Yeah. It was great. It was great. That's why it was a four-year break from reality, and I yeah. was a social student. 
Uh, it was the the longest and most expensive party I've ever been to. That's how I, I got really college. good at ping pong. Like really exactly. Good. Yeah, a skill you can make tons of money doing. Tons. True. Yeah. <laughs> Olympic. You know, the Olympics are calling. You know, I, I, and I thought of another um, enemy, and I want to ask if you discuss this in the movie. Yes. Um, the enemy of the American way, the mindset of. Um, I'll tell you, my father went to college. My mother didn't. Um, but my dad had drilled it into me, uh, you know, when are you going to college, Who, when are you going to college, where college are you going to go to? And then the, you know, the, uh, guidance counselor at my high school, uh, got to get into a college and you know, all throughout high school, it's college, college, college. You got to go to college. You're an idiot. If you don't go to college, right. Mm-hmm. It's all this college. So when I, I actually did enroll in a college, uh, I lasted two weeks, but I, I, I enrolled, and they were, you know, sign the FAFSA work or whatever paperwork I had to sign. Like, didn't yep. even think about it because I'm like, I have to do this. This is what society yep. wants me to do. Exactly. That, I think, might be the biggest enemy because it's like we're – I don't know. I, like I said, I, no, I'm glad I – you're spot on. Dude, you're spot on. The, the, the system from kindergarten through 12th grade, if you ask any teacher in that system, you said, what do you guys do? What are you doing in the school system? We're preparing kids for college. That's crazy. And, and I, you know, they should be teaching them how to do keg stands if they really want to learn that skill <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> in kindergarten. Exactly. Let's get them started exactly. early. <laughs> I maintain, here's what I maintain. I think that what we are, what we should be teaching young people today is entrepreneurial skills, not necessarily, uh, you know, how do you go work for the man, but how do you be the man? How do you make your own money? Because yeah. right now, here's what we're facing. We're, we're facing a, an economy where, I maintain that uh, risk is the new security and that people who said, I'm going to go get a safe, secure job. Well, that's an oxymoron. There are no safe, secure jobs anymore. Right. Very true. And the people who are the safest are those who have created their own job. You know, I have on any given year, I'll do 75. I have 75 engagements. I have client work. I have all this stuff. If one group fires me, I just go pick up another group. So it's like an investment. It's like diversifying. It is. I'm totally diversified in my career now. And I'm not saying anything against work because I I think there are great companies to work for and people who care about their employees and all of that. But we need those workers. And we need them. However, what we're doing is we are cranking out employee mindset folks who are now deep in debt and, uh, by the way, pay the highest tax rates of any individual in the United States. So, So the system right now is set up really to, to put people behind the financial aid ball because inherently they're borrowing a bunch to go to college. They come out, they're paying a lot in taxes and they're paying off their student loans. And then it's like, oh, hey, by the way, you're behind if you're not in a $300,000 home by the time you're 30. Hmm. You know, and that's a, uh, so I agree with you. I think the American definition of success actually is changing. And there are guys like Seth Godin and Eben Pagan and a lot of these online marketer guys that are changing the face of it. Seth Godin will be one of the biggest disruptors there is in our time, given some of the things he's changing in the face of education. And, um, and another one is, is uh, Khan, you know, Khan Academy. Yeah, uh, when, yeah. when people can go online and get free education, there will come a time where the degree only matters for those who are degreed. So so, uh, so yeah. on that point, I have a question because the, the whole reason or a lot of the reasons people go to school is because they're, they're like, well, you know, no one's going to hire me if I don't have a degree. Mm-hmm. So is that the truth? And, and, you know, do you have to go to the Princeton to get the job or can you go to like the state school like a Rutgers or, or Phoenix you know, or, or Phoenix? Mm-hmm. I mean, like where where do they, the rea- what is the reality for? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, can you go to the state university? Yes, without question. I know, I know people who have gone to state universities that go on to do amazingly cool, talented things. And they're, they're, in, in my vernacular, they'd be mashers, right? They, they're people who go out and make awesome shit happen. <laughs> um, the, um, that question of do you have to go to school to get the job is changing. And I don't know if you guys have, have seen this, but Google recently sent out a memo that said they don't really care about GPA. They don't care about degrees. 
It, um, it's funny you bring that up. We were just talking about that before you came on. Yeah. And when I originally graduated college, I wanted to work for Google. Yes. But my, my degree name was not good enough. So it was before they found out that that's pretty much irrelevant. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And but what about the on the uh, on the opposite side of that, where those companies in uh, New York, those financial companies, were going after your SAT scores, yeah, to hire people, like that's, that's crazy. Here, yeah, and here's but here's the other the the swing of that is, on the one side you have Google, which is one of the coolest, hippest, most creative places you could go work. On the other side, you have uh, you know Wall Street and investment bankers and all of that taking nothing away from those folks. But they will demand that you work 70 or 80 hours a week. You give your life to the career. Mm -hmm. And for people who are really interested in that, God bless you, more power to you, go do it. But for me, my, you know, my change in the definition of success is more around time freedom and, and less, you know, money freedom is important to me. And I believe that to create financial freedom, you do a few things right. Number one, you reduce your debt which, again, going to school makes it really difficult to do. Yep. Um, so the way you reduce your debt is you blast away your debt really quick, and the way you do that is you live like a broke college kid for three to four years after college. You build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle, and you create massive, passive, permanent streams of income. So that is you know, the, the whole notion of great entrepreneurs and, people, and authors and, and uh, singers and songwriters. They work once. And then they get paid, get paid, get paid, get paid, get paid, get paid, get paid. But you, you agree. T- but you agree that not everyone can do that. I agree. I agree. Um, so there I is think, a need for colleges in that well, sense. I think there is a need for colleges for those that aren't wired that way. Mm-hmm. But I also believe going back to the Khan Academies and Mixergy.com and SmartPassiveIncome.com. Yeah, goes back to a comment made by Jim Rohn, who was known as the America's foremost business philosopher. He died a couple of years ago. Um, he had this saying that said, self, uh, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. And I think what we do in this country is we say, go to school, go to school, go to school. You got to go to college. And then we go, oh, yeah, you got your degree. Now you're good. Right. And instead, we need to say, go to college, go to college, go to college. By the way, plan for that for five years leading up to it so that maybe you have scholarships and grants and other things in place. Or have your plan in place. Go to a community college, have an internship, find an apprenticeship, then go on to your major. Um, so, and, and then at the end of your college career, it's like, oh, by the way, you're just now beginning. So, you congratulations, you have your degree. This allegedly makes you employable, and now you need to self-educate. So, I have a hard question. Uh, do you personally encourage people to go to college? Here's what I tell people. It is a business decision these days that, Matt, you've made it, right? You've made the business decision that instead of trading $40,000 or $50,000 in debt for your college career, you're just going to go out and do it on your own. You're going to make it happen. Right. And you have, obviously. Um, for some people, it makes perfect sense for them to go. And, and I'm wholeheartedly in support of that. I'm, I'm very pro-education. And sure. our, docu- our documentary, Broke, Bust, and Disgusted, is a very pro-education documentary in the sense that we love the notion of going and improving your mind. We just don't like improving your mind at the cost of your future. Or at the, or at the speed because I think that if – look, if uh, you can ma- – if, if you don't work and your job is to educate yourself, couldn't you get a degree done in a year? Yes. You know? For the amount of time that it takes over a four-year course, but I know that there's limitations on what you can absorb in you know the amount of time. But I'm pretty sure if I can watch Linda videos all day long, I'd be a master <laughs> at designing Facebook in a matter of a year. If that was totally. all, if that was the only thing I concentrated on, totally. You know, and imagine, imagine. <laughs> I mean, this is the ridiculous. You can take this to the utmost, right? Imagine going into a financial aid office at a school and saying. Hey, by the way, I don't really want to go to class. I'm not going to take any classes from your university, but I am going to sit in your dorm rooms and I'm going to watch Linda videos for 12 hours a day right. for the next 12 months. Can I have $15,000? They laugh you out of there. But yeah. at the end of that year, 
you could probably go build a social media strategy company that would kick ass, you know? I mean, look at Steve Jobs. He didn't go to co- He technically went to college but didn't pay for it. He just snuck in the classes and learned what he wanted to learn for free. Right. And, I mean, I know he's like the epitome of that particular, uh, you know, comparison. But, it, I mean, if you if you had the desire to learn, I don't think you sh- – there's ways to get around without paying for it. And – you know, making if you're smart enough, I think you can get a job. And I think yeah. some companies are a little bit more progressive where they'll just they'll look at the individual and say, This person's smart versus yeah. this person has a piece of paper. Uh and I also think a piece of paper from Phoenix is different from a piece of paper from Harvard. And I think right. there's a lot of there's a lot of um you know, companies who would be biased against one totally. or the other. Totally true. And and there was a um uh, a secretary of education, the national secretary of education who just stepped down here not too long ago has written a book called is college worth it. So mm. think about this. First of all, this is the national secretary of education who's written a book basically asking the question, is this still worth it? And in his book out of the 3,500 universities in the country, about 10% of them actually are a good investment in his estimation. And he, he rates that based on their graduation rate, their placement rate, how much their average starting salary is for their graduates, and so on. So, you know, yeah, Harvard's, the, the Yales, the Princeton's, Wharton's, these are the ones where companies in New York and Manhattan and, uh, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, they're looking for those people. And is it a better education? Maybe. But I'll tell you what they really have. Those schools have an amazing network. Right. And if you're in that school, you're in that school because your daddy makes a ton of money or your mommy makes a ton of money and they foot the bill for that. Or you're on the Gates Millennial Scholarship or, you know, you might be an unbelievable, brilliant kid. But the network that you get at those schools, I still maintain, is probably better than the business education that you could probably get at a Penn State or Purdue or anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's really what's worth it for going there. I mean, have you, I don't think in your documentary, are there any stories of Harvard grads who are, who are struggling or can't find a job? Well, we have, uh, we have a few people lined up and we, we don't know the, the particulars of their story. The way we've done this is we've gotten both hero and horror stories across the, uh, the country. And our horror stories are ones where a student went and got, as an example, a woman emailed the other day, she got a doctorate at a state school. It cost her $212,000 by the time all was said and done mm. in student loans. And she, she said, I, I would not trade my education for anything. However, um, if I had known that I was only going to make $55,000 a year starting out, I would have chosen a different path. Wow. And so her payments every month, and this is a 20-year payment plan, her payments were somewhere between twelve dollars and $1,400 a month. Wow. On 55K living on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, th- these are the horror stories. Are, and, and we have ones from Harvard Law that, you know, they, they actually, once they practiced for two years and realized they hated it mm-hmm. and went to work for a nonprofit, they realized that their passion was in nonprofit work and they might have chosen a different path as opposed to Harvard because they could do nonprofit work from any law school anywhere. Wow. So I think a lot of this boils down to people understanding that you are not your degree, you are not your major, that you are this living, breathing thing that has a passion, and you sometimes don't know what your passion is until you're 26 or 27, maybe 30, some cases 40 or 50. And coming out with 50 grand in debt, all that does is it pushes your passion farther out. You know, So the people that say, I really just want to volunteer for the uh, Peace Corps. Yeah. Well, you might be able to get a debt forgiveness grant, uh, but if you have six hundred dollars a month in student loan payments, uh, you may have to work for a while until you pay so, that off. Until you speaking of this debt forgiveness grant, I mean, I'm sure there are a ton of people who are listening who, who like have student loan debt now. They're already past school. The decision's been made. Uh, like, what can they do? Are there any like tricks? Or I mean, how how do you kind of get through this? Yes, that's a great question, Andrew. One of the um, one of the best ways, it, for, the first step really is get complete control of all of your loans. So I don't know if, if you guys have ever seen this, but it, you can log on to the direct lending page or if someone's getting service through Sally Mae or any of the number of 
of, of uh, student loan servicers out there. But log on to that page and look at every single loan you have with them because every loan will show up as a separate line item in that, uh, in that user, um, you know, in your login. Mm-hmm. And the way that student loans work and, and how those system is, in my opinion, rigged against the borrower is let's say your payment is $500 and you have $40,000 or $50,000 in student loans. And that is spread over 12 different loans. Every semester you got one and then you ended up getting a couple extra as emergency loans. So the balances vary from three or 4,000 to one's 8,000 and one's 600 and they're all over the board. That $500 payment you send in is evenly distributed along the the way to each and every one of those loans. And I maintain that that is like trying to toast a piece of bread with a flashlight. Right. You know, it's like at some point it'll toast. It is going to take a long, long, long time. So instead what I tell students is if and most people are saying, hey, I sent 50 extra dollars or 100 extra dollars to my student loan. Don't just send it in and blindly think that they are applying that where it makes the most sense. They are taking that money from you and again, they are parceling it on each one of them and saying, oh, well, you, of the $100 extra you sent in, $8 went to this loan and $2 went to this loan and $3 went to this loan. And, um, and oh, by the way, what we actually did was we added it to your future payments, not to the principal. So now it looks like your payment isn't due next month. It's due the month after because of the last three months you've sent $100 extra dollars. So what you have to do is actually go in and say, this $100 extra I'm sending, I want it to go to the loan that has a $600 balance because I want to pay that off right away. Hmm. And the faster you pay off that balance loan, the less in interest you're paying over time on all the loans. And then what you do is you just roll that payment up to the next one. And so I tell students that, hey, if you have any extra chunk of money, Focus on the lowest balance student loan and make all your advance payments to that one until it's gone. Then move up to the next one. Will and they have the same interest rate or, or is it, it going to be that they might have different? I mean, yeah, they might have different interest rates, Andrew. And it might be most of the loans out there today are 6.8%. But as, per chance, they borrowed when it was 5.5 or whatever. It may be lower. Um, and there's two schools of thought on that. One is, you know, go after the one with the lowest interest rate. And the other school of thought is go after the one with the uh, lowest balance. In my mind, going after the one with the lowest balance makes sense because you knock out the debt and it just feels good. So there's sort of an emotional win to paying off that debt soon. Is there, do you recommend people consolidate those can, or can you consolidate them if they're all with one company? If they're all with one company, you can consolidate once. And the deal is right now that, um, and I don't know when this law takes effect, but uh, student loans will soon be pegged to whatever prime is. So it will, it will match the market. And this is both good and bad. What it means is all the folks that are at 6.8%, they'll eventually get to 3.8%. And at 3.8%, they're charged less interest. It's easier to pay back and so on and so forth. The challenge is that when our interest rates go back up, and it's not an if, it's a when, um, you know, then they may go, they, they may blaze past 6.8 and be at 7.5 or 8.5 or 9. And now we, we're in the same mess that we were in before, only it's worse. Right. And so, um, so you know, it's, it's kind of a no-win situation. I mean, it really is. So, so I don't know if this makes any sense, and, and I'm hoping you can tell me, but uh, student loan debts are amortized. Uh, would it make sense to almost like take out another loan that that is simple interest and to pay off your student loan debt and then could could that be something that yeah yeah it could it's you know it's it's one of those things that it's a bit of a slippery slope obviously um and I'm, here's the thing i'm amazed more uh savvy students have not figured out that they could go in, in the first 5 years of their working career go apply for every credit card they could possibly get approved for and then go get a bunch of advance checks on that, pay off all their student loans and then bankrupt the bank, bankrupt the uh, credit cards. Mm. I'm amazed this isn't happening 
because this realistically would and, and I don't want to. So, so they could the technically idea. declare bankruptcy on their student loans, or just not being slick about it. Ah, huh. but you then what? That, you didn't awesome. hear that from me. No, right? No. <laughs> but that's I'm amazed more people aren't thinking about. It. But to your point, Andrew, yes, you could take out a simple interest loan, and I mean, think about this: if you have a paid-off vehicle, let's say you, a friend or a family gave you a vehicle, and it's worth five grand or ten grand. If you went to a credit union and said, can I get a loan on this three to five-year-old vehicle? And they go, yeah, we'll give you a loan at 1.9%. You're better off taking a loan against your car and taking that 10 grand and paying off some student loans uh, because then your payment on 10 grand, now it might be over five years, but you have an asset tied to it um, and, and the student loan is no longer accruing 6.8% interest. Hmm. Again, a bit of a slippery slope. But I will tell you this, and you might put this in the podcast notes. Um, there is a website that is vertex42.com. Okay. And it's V-E-R-T-E-X-4-2.com. If you go there, it's a, it's a, uh, a site for Excel spreadsheet nerds. So if you love Excel spreadsheets, you will just, this will flip your lid. And, and when you're on that page, look up a debt reduction or debt elimination spreadsheet. And this will show you how to rapidly accelerate the payoff of your debt. And, um, and there are ways to do it. It's just most students, they're taught, just make your payments. And, and realistically, financial aid people are saying, just make the minimum payment. Do it forever. Mm. You'll get used to it. You know? And my, my whole notion when I graduated was, if it took me four years to acquire the debt, it shouldn't take me 20 to get rid of it. Right. Now, I was lucky. I married a very financially savvy woman who basically said, get rid of your debt or I'm going to get rid of you. <laughs> and uh, and we, we spent the first two years of our married life living on one income. And we basically lived on hers because she was my sugar mama at the time. <laughs> and and uh, my income went to blast away all of our debt. So we, we took care of about 40-some thousand dollars in high interest debt in the first two years of our marriage. And you sacrificed, and we, right? We sacrificed. We, we did for two years what most people wouldn't do. So we can now do for the rest of our life what most people can't do. Right. Mm. I believe yeah. in that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So are we on the verge of a bubble with this? 100%. 100%. Yeah. It, th- this, is the, this is the main reason behind Broke, Busted, and Disgusted is you cannot stick your head in the sand when, when student loan debt has gone up 500% in 10 years because 10 years from now, that puts us at $6 trillion. And another 10 years, that puts us at $30 trillion. Think about that. Multiple times what the entire country is worth. Yes. Math. <laughs> and now, yeah, it's called arithmetic. Look it up, right? right? For America. <laughs> How does this work? And, and when one in five are 90 days late, one in three are delinquent, it does, at, at $6 trillion, that means $2 trillion is delinquent. At $30 trillion, it means $6 trillion is delinquent. You know, so that's... I'm sorry, $10 trillion is delinquent. Hmm. So 20 years from now, let's imagine we just keep going and having fun. 20 years from now, we will be $30 trillion in student loan debt, and $10 trillion of it will be so, in default. Let me, let me ask you. So you know, we're coming to a bubble with this, and I think I, I would lend myself to agree, but you know, I don't have student loan debt, so why should I care? Well, How does this main, affect me? Yeah, here's the main reason to care. Um, you know, number one, your taxes. So this, this affects everyone because should these defaults happen and really go through, taxes will do nothing but go up over the next 10 years. And it will go up to cover the cost of not only this bubble bursting, but also the amount of money the Fed is pumping into the system in order to borrow money out, loan money out to students to continue to go to school. So we just keep feeding the bubble, right? That's, that's mm. the whole point of the Federal Reserve. And that's on us. That's on, that's on the nation of taxpayers. You pay a hell of a lot of taxes. It hurts. Yeah. So you will care because it will affect you. And if it's not your, your income taxes, it'll be your property taxes, your sales taxes, your gas tax. All of that will have to be kicked back into the state to fund the state institutions. That's number one. Number two is our economy suffers as a result. So you may not have student loan debt. But all of the people around you that legitimately could buy your services 
mm. have student loan debt, and their spending power is greatly reduced. And the numbers we'll share in our documentary are staggering. I mean, like, you take a community that has a, an average amount of student loan debt, which is $29,000 per borrower, and it, it affects how many cars are purchased each year, how many homes are purchased each year, how many vacations are taken, who's going out to eat, what clothes are bought, are they going to the dry cleaner, are they getting car washes? Everything's yeah. impacted by it. So like um, the end of An Inconvenient Truth where there's a lot of action steps. Now, I know I want people to see the movie, so no spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, do, you, do you like recommend – is there anything that people can do about this situation or is it kind of like let's just wait for it to happen? And like, obviously you're not saying um, you know, don't go to college because uh, right. that uh, is bad as well. Um, right. And I think – I was trying to think of – uh, not going to college is bad because when more and more people stop going to colleges, it means the colleges have to raise tuition because they just don't have enough people to cover it. That's exactly right. So, um, are you sure you didn't take an econ college class? I, I know I didn't. <laughs> I just, yeah. you know, I, I just I watch a lot of Netflix documentaries. That's how I know. Yeah, I know. That's I, awesome. I, I, you know, just edu- self educate it. You know. Yeah. So I learned most of this from Ancient Aliens on Netflix. Yeah, right. <laughs> ancient <laughs> Aliens. So yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um. You know, is there is there things that like say I can do, or just people can do like on a daily basis, or or just maybe something? I don't know. Yeah, uh, we are we are going to have a series of action steps. Okay, and I'll give you a couple of them just off the bat. I won't I won't spoil all. Yes, yeah, don't, don't spoil alert for parents. Number one, and this is my my biggest passion, is your kids have got to be financially educated. Yes. You know, and, and we are doing a just an absolutely miserable job of educating young people, and I'm talking kindergarten through twelfth grade about money. Except uh, with Listen Money Matters, which is the gleaming light in the <laughs> This is it, man. This is the holdout. And, well, as soon as honestly, I as soon as I, I learned I mean, as soon as I learned to write a check, there was already uh debit cards out there and I never needed to write one. Right. But just, and then you, know, you go online and you check everything and you know how much you have. Yeah. But but what's but, happened is uh, and this is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but we've created this society where 24 easy monthly installments is just the way it's done. And, and you know, we get a house and the way you do it is you pay for 30 years and it's no big deal. It's part of life. Go to college, pay it for 20 years, no big deal. Part of life. Well, is that programming? I think it's programming. And, and so can we reprogram the young generation to believe that you actually have to start applying for scholarships when you're in third grade through your PhD program, which incidentally, I've built a program that is open and available to the public at scholarshipmastery.com. And this is a a website that shows ordinary students how to get extraordinary amounts of money for school. And essentially, um, I think parents need to be teaching their kids to be financially educated, first off. Number two, they need to tell their, their kids that college is a business decision. It's not a given. And that because it's a business decision, you are not going to go get a, a French literature degree and spend $80,000 doing it. I'm just going to put my foot down. That's a stupid decision. Yeah. Because there, there are no French literature jobs out there that pay you commensurately to get that degree. Yeah. Now, if you're super passionate about it and you're willing to do everything to get there and you can do it for free or less, do it. But, but it's a business decision. I want you to be conscious of the fact that if you borrow $20,000 a year for four years, you're going to have an eight or $900 a month payment for 10. And you need to be willing to live with that. Um, on the business side, here's how I think businesses chip in. Number one, they help fund our documentary. <laughs> uh, but number two, what they do is they, they contribute more to scholarship funds and, and, um, and really, really focus on helping the community grow. So if there is profit and the profit is to be reinvested in the community, do it in a scholarship fund to help the high school graduates go to college. And, and to do that, the high schools also have to participate and make sure that the students know how to do the scholarship apps right. and they know about them and they're doing them. And that's an issue with the counselor program, which is a whole other story. Yeah, I'm, I bet there's people making money just off of teaching kids how to find scholarships. I mean, you mentioned that website. They are. They're, and they're out there and... I, at one point, I was going to charge $97 to have access to my program, <clears throat> and then I realized it's far too valuable, yeah. and I would just as soon give it away and see that, you know, see that used well in mm-hmm. society. 
Um, so some of the other, the, you know, the, the ways out of this, um, it's look at community colleges, which are quite candidly some of the best values out there. And community college got a bad rap for a, a number of years. Still does, and, I think. And it still does. I think there's a number of really, really good ones out there. And, you know, one in my local community, um, DMAC West is the name of it. It's Des Moines Area Community College. You know, the, the econ professor there was the former CFO of Mid-American Energy, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a, a Warren Buffett company. So this guy's teaching econ at a community college level. I would much rather take econ from him than the guy who is at the state university and the only thing he's ever known is academic econ. Hmm. See, you know, I, so. I think uh, the community college uh, stigma just needs rebranding. Instead of calling yourself Gloucester County Community College, call yourself something else. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? With a U in it. So that yeah. way you can, you can abbreviate. Does, right. it, does, it, does it have to be legally called a community college? Can it just be yeah. college? Does it have to say the word community in it? No, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Right? Just drop That's the word good... community. Yeah. Or don't name it after the county that your school's <laughs> in. Just, you know. That that could quite possibly be the most innovative thing I've actually heard in a long time. <laughs> I, I, would, I would totally do it. Because then I, go, I would go to those colleges not knowing they were community college. You would never yeah. know. Besides yeah. that, that they only offer two-year programs. And but it some, sounds right. prestigious. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, business owners wouldn't know. Very true. And, and I think the other thing, and, and this, maybe this is part of that, uh, turning them into colleges, not community colleges, but a lot of the schools now will offer college credit for high school students that go to their, their, their branch or their campus you know, during their senior, junior and senior year. I think students need to come into university as at least a second semester freshman or a first semester sophomore. Hmm. And that's how we'll get through in three years, not in four or five. And... Um, and unfortunately, universities know that someone's taken a piece of that pie, and they're starting to say, uh, those credits don't transfer here, mm. which, again, is BS. You know, it's right. just – it's their way of making sure they're, they're getting their cut. So, all right, to, to wrap things up with the documentary, um, you, you have it on Indiegogo. We do. It, you're, you're, uh, is the, a documentary is not finished. You, you have footage, but you're still working on completing it. Correct. This is a work in progress right now. What we have is we have a, a really solid uh, sizzle reel or demo, the, the trailer that's on the, the website. We have another 20 hours in the hopper, and we have probably a good 200 hours of interviews and other footage that we'll shoot in the fall. It's a long documentary. So it, will, <laughs> uh, it will all be cut down, obviously. We're right. looking for golden nuggets. But our interviews, the challenge is our interviews are going to be just money. I mean, they're, they're magical. And so what we're doing is we're making many documentaries along the way of some of these stories. Those will all be posted on the website, and it'll sort of be the sequenced release. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately when we hope to get distribution with it, all those many documentaries will be additional content on the DVD as an example. Um, and our ultimate goal with this is to sell it. I mean, we sell it to... Uh, you know, an HBO films that's showing it to a national audience, international audience, and or to get it on Netflix so that it's playing constantly and it's all on demand. And is there, uh, would there be a way that you have in mind of people can access it if, let's say, it doesn't make it to Netflix right away? Because sometimes yes. it takes a while. Is there a way to get yes. it like as soon as you're done? Well, here's the best part. So part of our Indiegogo campaign is if, if all you donated was $10. Mm-hmm then what you'll get is a copy of the film once it's done. You get a digital copy of it. Perfect. So you get digital download, share it with all your friends, you know, do what you want with it. Um, our goal with, with the film is we want to be the film that's shown in high schools and in colleges and that parents are watching and that you know, people say, hey, have you seen Broke, Bust, and Discuss it? You need to watch it to prepare your kids for the decisions they're about to make so that you know, unfortunately, the 20 to 30-year-olds that are out there right now that have debt, I can help, but I can only help, you know, on the fray and help you rapidly pay down debt and teach you how to do that. For the folks that have not gone through it yet, I'm going to hopefully reduce the amount of debt that you're leaving with by 30 or 40 percent, hopefully, so that you are a more engaged member in the, in the uh, you know, U.S. economy 
and that you can live the life that you want to live. It's awesome. So, yeah. So there are many ways to do it. Obviously, donations are paramount for us right now. And just so you know, ever, so your audience knows, I don't want you to fill my gas tank. I want you on the bus with me. You know, and, and so we're looking for, for supporters, but we're looking for people who believe in the, miss, the mission and the message. And I've put in five grand of my own money as an associate producer on this film. I have friends that have put in 5000 Our average investor uh, or donor has put in over $90, which is phenomenal. Um, but that comes in a lot of 10 and $25 and $45 donations as well. Right. And with each of those support levels, there's the film, there's t-shirts, there's, uh, you know, all sorts of cool stuff, you know, swag that we're giving out with, uh, with the campaign. Like I'd an, say, I mean, for yeah. only $10, it's, it's pretty cheap to kind of pay it forward for the next generation. Cause oh, didn't totally. we wish that we knew this before we got into this trouble? Yeah. Yes. At least, or if you're not a parent yet, but thinking about becoming one or you're in the process of becoming one buy it now, it's a digital file. And when your kid gets older, you can show it to them. Absolutely. In fact, I'll go one step further with your audience. I would not, I, I don't normally do this, but I'd definitely do it for you guys. All right. You know, my, my book, Winning the Money Game, which normally retails for $13.95 on Amazon, if any of your listeners, if any of your audience goes to Indiegogo and contributes at least $10, and they email me at adam at adamspeaks.com, and you let me know that, you know, you contributed, give me your first name, last name, so I can you know, we can look and make sure it's all square on there. Um, give me your mailing address. I will send you a copy of Winning the Money Game as well on me. No shipping, no nothing. $10. That's out gets really you. awesome yeah, of you. Thank you. That gets you the film and the copy of my book. And I'm happy to do it. I want everyone to know about this. And, and you know, we got a lofty goal. We're going to 65K. We have, at this point today, we have about 15 days left. Um, and we are just nearing the halfway mark with a few donations that are rolling in over the next two days. Is so, there like a social media campaign that's, that's going right now? Before? Yeah, we're on, we're on Twitter every day, hardcore. We're doing stuff on Facebook. What's uh, the uh, Twitter of, handle? Twitter handle is at BBD the film. Okay. And, and, or you can look me up at Adam Carroll with two R's and two L's. And, and we'll I've, put all of this in the yeah, show notes. Sure. That'd be great. That'd be yeah. great. And you know, here's the deal. We, we would love for people to share it. So even if, if you're like, hey, yeah, believe it, go, I'm for you, but I don't have 10 bucks to put in, share it with everyone you know. We need millions of people to see this, and this is my opinion. But when we have millions of graduates out there that are in $1.2 trillion of debt, our $65,000 we are trying to raise should be like a drop in the bucket for the – I mean, if you think about it, we need – 6,500 people to give $10 and how many graduates are out there. They're like, hell yeah, if I'd have known this, like you said, Andrew, if I'd have known this before, I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in now. Right. Oh yeah. And I also want to say, we just got like, like this week or last week, like a few hundred Redditors kind of jumped on board with the podcast. Guys, go, go to work, you know, go on Reddit. Like let's make this, uh, let's make this a thing. Yeah, for sure. This, and I'll tell you, you know, the, the, Film notwithstanding, my book's pretty damn good, and I and it's not, it's not a, a long book. It's not a hefty read, but I've had more people comment that after reading my book, they changed their financial picture, and um, and we read this is kind of a funny thing. We read one time that the average college graduate reads point nine books a year. That's <laughs> not that many. Yeah. So we wrote point <laughs> six of a book that anyone can read. It's like really small. So. Yeah. For, that's awesome. Well, you know, Adam, I, I really appreciate you being on. I mean, this has been – it's an eye-opening conversation. Absolutely. Uh, you're an enlightened individual. Uh, this topic is – I think right now financially it's the most important topic because we kind of already did the debt, you know, the housing debt thing. Like we're over that now, right? Yep. So this is the yep. next one. Yes. Um, and it's – and, if you know, obviously there people weren't predict. There was predictors out there. Uh, this is going to happen. This burst is going to happen, right? Yeah, totally. uh, It's just, you know, what side do you want to be on? And uh, yep. what can we do to, to, to stop it from happening? Exactly. And I think it's great. And I, I, I wish you well in the documentary because I'm definitely going to be donating because I definitely want your book now. 
and I definitely want to see it uh, because, you know, I've seen the trailer. Go look at the trailer. It's great. Um, It's something that uh, it's just, you know, people just need to see no matter if you go to college or not. I think anyway, everybody needs to see it. So I I really appreciate your time and and thanks. uh, Thanks for coming on with us. Absolutely, guys, and I appreciate what you're doing. ListenMoneyMatters.com is a phenomenal site. You guys have you you've done an amazing job aggregating all of that, and I'm um, anxious to get a couple articles. Yeah, we got to talk about yourself. student yeah. loans for sure. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So totally. uh, if you like what Adam had to say, he's gonna be creating some awesome content on Listen Money Matters. So yeah, obviously I don't do. have experience in it, and then Andrew has very little. So I mean, we definitely it's need kind an outsider of the pro on with that. the topic. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You bet. You bet. I, I will share as much as humanly possible, and I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. Keep it up. Cool. Thank you. All awesome. right. Well, it was great Thanks, talking man. to you. Absolutely. You guys too. Take care. All right. See ya. Later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest review on iTunes. And for more information, visit listenmoneymatters.com. Peach out, home slice.